So we live in an instant gratification world. I mean, it's so obvious when we look around how we don't care what it takes as long as we don't have to wait, right? We value results a lot more than the process, hence hot dogs, right? We all know what they're made of and they're gross. We still eat them because, hey, it's quick meat. It's there. Throw it over a fire. Put it in a microwave. Throw it in some boiling water. Like, it's quick meat. So, uh... That's the culture we live in. We spend so much money and investment and attention to making sure that we don't ever have to use patience. Streaming movies on the go, right? Anything we want, click a button away. Do you guys remember the day back, way back in the day, when we had to look out the window when we traveled for entertainment, right? (laughs) There's another cornfield. Nifty. Uh, that used to be our entertainment. And now, you know, like when we're driving or when we're traveling, it's just like one click away, there's a movie, there's a game, there's something happening to keep us entertained. And then we got the whole app world. Like the whole app world was invented just to make everything easier and faster for us. I love the Chipotle app, my favorite place to eat. If you ever want to bless my heart, <laughs> just give me a Chipotle. Uh, so uh, the, the Chipotle app, I don't know if you know this or not, but you can just order the food you want in Chipotle instead of standing in line like normal people do. You can be super impatient and just walk past everybody and smile and wave at them as you do. Grab your food that's pre-ordered from your app and walk away. It's already paid for and everything. And I mean, I, I, when I do that, I just feel smarter and I feel like people think I'm smarter. I hold up my smartphone and I'm and, uh, but it's not good. I mean, it's not good at all. Guys, I'm not real good at patience. In fact, just the other week, I had to wait 17 minutes for my McDonald's meal for my family, and I was becoming frustrated with that. And I had to catch myself and say, hold up, you're getting frustrated over 17 minutes for hamburger and fries for your family? Like, think about if you would have had to make that from scratch. It would have taken a lot longer than 17 minutes to grow all those vegetables and grind all that flour and butcher that beef. But that's the culture we live in. And I get sucked up. Guys, this has been one of the hardest sermons I've had to preach and study for just because it was so convicting. I've had a lot of kind people in my life tell me stuff like, you know, Keith, you're, you're great at this, you do this really well, and give all these wonderful compliments about my character and how I do stuff. But no one has ever told me, Keith, you're just a really patient guy. <laughs> I've never got that from anybody. And it's been really convicting as God's working in my heart um, through this sermon. Uh, it's not good for our souls that we lose patience so quickly i think one reason why Dwayne suggested i preach this sermon was he's like yeah it's on patience you need to study up on this one boy it's hard patience is incredibly hard and in fact i think we've lost so much patience in our culture i'm guessing there's already a few of you that have already asked the question hmm wonder how long this sermon's gonna go (laughs) if you've chuckled you just gave yourself away but, but I mean, how, that's crazy, because how stupid would it be for me to preach a short sermon on patience, right? Because it's going to go long. It's going to go real long, everybody. But how ridiculous if I'd get up here and say, all right, guys, I know you've got a ton of things to do, a ton of places to go. I know you're all busy, so here's a short sermon on patience. Go ahead and grab your communion to go and your little baggie on your way out and jump in your cars and get out of here. <laughs> oh, man. You know... Losing our patience has been bad for our souls. 
even on a surface level, go up a little higher than our souls, let's go on a surface level of being quick-tempered with our kids and people around us, not listening well to people, being too quick to speak. Um, and God cares about those surface-level things, and he wants to help us grow in that. But patience, and it, because we're not, we're not going to talk about those surface levels today, because patience goes a lot different or a lot deeper than just a surface level. Patience goes as deep as our faith, the core of who we are. In fact, faith requires patience. In order to have lasting faith, we must have patience. You see, patience is so important on a deep and fundamental level of following Christ. So let's go ahead and get your Bibles, get your phones, get your tablets out, and let's go to James chapter uh, 5. And uh, we'll go, we're going through uh, verse 7 through 11 this morning. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to let you know that we're working through the book of James. Um, we've been working on this journey for a while. It's been a great journey. We have one more sermon left after, uh, after today on, uh, on James, and then we went through the whole book. And so we're working this morning on James chapter 5, 7 through 11. James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may, be, so you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So let's unpack this passage in James. We're going to go verse by verse going through it. And as we approach this scripture, I know that we're all coming from different life situations. Some of you guys have had a very tragic life up to this point. Some of you guys have had a rather easy life up to this point. I know when we talk about patience, we talk about suffering, like we're all coming at this at different points. My objective this morning is just to teach the truth of this passage in James so that we can come to a fuller mental understanding of it. But it is the Holy Spirit's job that you, t that you take what happens here and that it goes deep inside your hearts to the place of encouraging to the place of convicting, to the place of actual life change. So I think it would be foolish for us to continue on without asking the Holy Spirit to come and do His work, make sure that we're not resisting the Holy Spirit in any way, and make sure that we're not quenching the Holy Spirit in any way. So I'm going to give you some time to do this. So just bow your heads, close your eyes, and in the quietness of the moment, just ask the Holy Spirit to work in your heart as we unpack Scripture. God, we need you in this moment. We need your spirit helping us understand the depths and the truths of this passage this morning. I pray that we can all leave this place changed, having further and deeper understanding your truth and walking in it. In your name we pray, amen. So let's look at verse number seven. It says, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So right off the bat, James is tying patience with hope. The hope of the coming of the Lord when Christ returns. Guys, you want to know the key to patience? The key to patience is hope. Hope unlocks patience. When James is talking, 
and says, be patient. He's not talking about a surface level of like waiting to eat or not being so quick-tempered. He's talking about a deep patience that is needed and must be present in order for you to endure suffering. In order for your faith to actually last. And we've seen many people whose faith does not last. In order for faith to last, you must have patience. Now, Paul is giving the same kind of hope to suffering when he uh, talks about it in Romans chapter 8. He's writing the letter to the church in Rome. He says the same thing in Romans chapter 8. He says, For I consider that the suffering at this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul is saying, listen, I know everybody's going through suffering, but I want you to know that as you, as you suffer, you have to look ahead and have to have perspective, a big enough zoom out that you can see ahead and realize that whatever reward is coming your way, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, it is nothing compared to the suffering that you're going through. In order to have patience, you have to have hope. Patience takes perspective. If you're involved in something and doing something that is hard and you don't know if it's ever going to stop, I can guarantee you you're going to run out of patience quickly. Patience takes hope. Later in Romans chapter 8, Paul gives this illustration of a woman giving birth. And I've never given birth before. I've seen my wife do it, um, but I've never given birth before. So moms who, who have gone through the birth process, you just have to nod with me if I'm right here. But what Paul's claiming is that the nine months of pregnancy, which is absolutely miserable. My wife's a trooper, and I see what she does. It's absolutely miserable. The nine months of being big in the front and walking around with this big baby and craving foods and all the, the pains that go into carrying a child. And then the actual pains of childbirth itself, which is incredibly painful. Paul claims that all that pain you go through all of a sudden is worth it when you're holding a little baby. Moms, am I right? Yeah. He's saying that's the picture I'm trying to give you towards patience and suffering. And looking ahead at a reward, when you see the reward ahead, when you get that reward. In fact, I know when my wife's in labor, when she's like, I don't know if I can do this, I don't know if I can do this, I'm her coach, you know, as I get all into it, I'm coaching her, and I'm like, yeah, you can. I said, you're going to have a baby real soon, and that always works every time when she's in labor. You're going to have a baby in your arms real soon, and then she's like, oh, I can do this, I can do this. I'm like, yes, you can. Uh, I used to pick rock on a farm for work. It was awful. And I don't know how you guys have picked rock before, but basically a tractor pulls this trailer slowly across the field full of rocks, usually close to a riverbed or something like that, and I'm picking up these giant stones and putting them into this trailer as we move along. It is so hot. It is so miserable doing it. Worst, one of the worst jobs I ever had, and I got paid next to nothing to do. It was like two bucks an hour to do it for a farmer. Uh, how many of you guys, I want to see a raise of hands, how many of you guys have worked 10 hours one day, picking rock in 95-degree weather, 90% humidity, in the dirt, slipping, losing grip as you try to pick up these huge rocks and put them in the trailer. How many guys would do it 10 hours a day for 20 bucks? A few kids are like, I'll do anything for 20 bucks. But anyone with an adult mind, <laughs> we're like, no. But tell you, let me tell you this, though. 
let's say we say, okay, 10 hours of picking rock, 90 degree weather, 90% humidity, all that jazz, but you get $1 million at the end of the day. Raise the hands, how many guys have picked rock for 10 hours for $1 million? Everyone hand go up. In fact, it wouldn't just be enduring that, that day. We would be excited for that day. We couldn't wait for that day. That day when we're picking up rocks, you'd be like, yes, every rock we pick up, a million dollars. You know, every rock that we do, it, it would be the best day of our life. I'm going to buy a car. I'm going to pay off my house. I'm, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Like When you look at that reward and you see what's in front of you, all of a sudden the suffering doesn't seem that bad. It actually becomes enjoyable because you know what the end result is going to be. James, in verse 7, compares it to a farmer. He says, look at this. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. He's comparing it to a farmer. We got farmers around here. You guys know what I'm talking about. You plant and then you wait. And what's the patience, what drives your patience is your precious fruit that you're going to see sprouting out of the ground. You're like, ah. That's why I wait, because I know this is going to happen. Early and late rains, that, that was a little confusing to me, so I looked up some commentaries, and uh, Douglas Moo has a commentary that said, in Palestine, the farmer was particularly dependent on the rain that came in late autumn and early spring in order for the crops to grow. So that's what James was referring to when he says the late and the early rain. So, as we, look about, as we look at patience, we always have to tie patience with the coming of the Lord, like James says. He said, think about Christ's return. Now let's think about it for a little bit. Let's, let's look at Revelations 21.4. I'll pop it on the screen here for you. It says, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the formal things have passed away. Guys, everything that right now that we're having patience through trying to endure with steadfastness look it's all going to disappear one day we won't need patience anymore because our reward will be with us and the best part about heaven is that god himself is going to be there the god who created everything the god who loves you more than anyone the god who cares about you is patient with you and loves you and served you and is uh your best friend and is bigger than our minds can imagine. He's going to be there. You no longer will ever, ever have to feel alone. He's right there with you. That should get our blood pumping. When we think about when Jesus comes back, and all sorrow will be no more. Let's look at verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James is, is saying, listen, establish your hearts, which means stand firm, be strengthened, drive a stake in the ground, saying, I know God is going to come back. I'm establishing that point right now in my heart. I believe Christ is coming back. So that, so that means that all of my possessions and all the time that I have left, I'm going to focus and zoom in on that realization. The Lord is coming Lord's coming is at hand, which means soon. God's timing is perfect. God's timing is soon. Um, as, he, as God looks at the space and time of humanity, he says, it's going to be soon. I'm coming soon. And he enables us to become patient in our suffering because we know the reward that's coming. And he says, be ready and be alert. 
That's how I want you to live. That's your mentality of the Lord coming back. Be ready and be alert, watching for it any time. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be next month. It could be a year from now. It could be 10 years from now. But we don't know. It's going to be soon. So live with that mentality. Verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, at first, this may seem like James is kind of changing the subject on patience and going to grumbling, but he's really not. When you think about it, what happens when we become impatient? We start grumbling, right? At each other. We get irritated at each other, and we make big, big issues over dumb little things. We get way too zoomed in on stuff, and we forget the big picture, and we find ourselves making big arguments over little things that just don't matter at all because we lost all patience. When we get discouraged because we forget about our reward in Christ, we start to notice all the weaknesses of those around us and just how annoying people actually are. Guys, we're all on this journey of sanctification, right? As we look at Christ and as we try to become more like him, and we're all at different places. So I can promise you, if you look at somebody to find out their weaknesses and to find out how annoying they are, you will find it. You will find what you're looking for. And those little things start to get underneath our skin. We lose all joy in life and become depressed. We become anxious. Um, And that's not what God intended the results to be for our suffering. He had other purposes for our suffering than for us to get irritated at each other. We can't let the suffering of today wreck the joy of our eternal salvation. We can't let the wrecking, the, 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 the suffering of today, the, the trouble we go through today, the trials we go through today, the pain we go through today, wreck our joy that we should have over the fact that we are saved and Christ is coming back soon. James is reminding the church, don't grumble against one another so that you get judged. Because he's saying, listen, there is a judge out there, and you will give an account for the way that you live your life. Those little sighs, those little arguments, those little things that you do when you get impatient, we're going to have to give an account for how we lived our lives. Then James motivates the church to stop grumbling by reminding them that they are being watched at the door by the judge. I don't know about you, but as a child, I was always more motivated to do what was right when my parents were at the door watching me (laughs) than when they weren't. (laughs) Uh, James points out that God is watching us. He's looking down upon us, watching us. And this starts to become really convicting when we realize that this God, this is the God who never grows tired of us in the midst of our many sins. This is the God who never grumbles about how awful we are, but welcomes us back every time we repent. This is the God who gives us new mercies every single day. And he's standing at the door, and he's watching us. I don't know about you, but I start to become really uncomfortable with how impatient I am with people when I know the one has lavished and given me so much patience is watching me. And James wants this to motivate us not to grumble at each other, but rather 
than sighing or complaining about someone. Zoom out and remember that the Lord is coming back soon. So be patient in your suffering. Don't take your, 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 your frustrations out on others because the one that has shown you so much patience is watching you and you will later give an account to him. So let's go to verse 10 now. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So James gives us an example of the kind of suffering he's referring to when he's talking about being patient. And he's like, the prophets. Think about the prophets. Now, I think one reason why James used the prophets is because his crowd were mostly Jews, and they really honored the prophets. And he said, okay, let's consider the prophets. You guys want an example of what this patience looks like while you are suffering? And I don't really have on time to pack Jeremiah and Isaiah and all the prophets that the Jews would have been thinking of when he said this in his letter to them. But um, I think Hebrews 11, uh, 32 to 38, really sums up like the prophets and what they went through. And so I'm going to read that for you, and I would just want you to picture the prophets going through this as I read it to you. Hebrews 11, 32 to 38, says, What more should I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Brax, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, remained strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. By the way, that's a lot of amazing stuff the prophets were doing. But now the tone kind of changes, and he says, yet some of them were tortured, refused to accept release so they might again rise to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Guys, these prophets did amazing things. And God led them and he guided them in doing all these things. But these prophets, they suffered severely for doing what God was asking of them. They suffered severely for doing exactly what God asked them to do. Many of these, many of these prophets, they spoke of things and warned of things that would never actually even happen in their lifespan. Talk about needing patience in the midst of suffering. The stuff they're prophesying about and telling people is going to happen, they don't actually even see it happen in their lifetime. That's patience. A lot of these prophets didn't receive their reward till much later where they actually saw what happened and, and the effect of their prophecy. Some of them didn't even see the reward at all until eternity, when they entered eternity. Then they could look back and say, oh, that's why I was supposed to say that. They were just trying to be faithful, and they were being mutilated for it. And that's patience and suffering. And we can clearly see that God calls his followers to live a life of suffering. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me when I say that. So I'm going to try to clear it up a little bit. I don't want you to think that living life for God now means that there's no joy in all suffering. I mean, obviously that's not true. 
as followers of Christ, we have a peace that goes way beyond anything the world can offer us. We have contentment that goes way beyond anything the world can offer us. Uh, there's so much joy in his presence and good things happen and God is a good God and gives us good gifts. There's lots of pleasure in following God and exciting things happen. But all of that is not because of a lack of suffering, but is in the midst of our suffering. He gives us those good things. God is calling all of his followers to a life of suffering. For some today, for some of our brothers and sisters today, that means death. Right now, there are brothers and sisters who are being put to death because of their faith in Christ. For some, that means torture. For some, that means imprisonment. For some, that means they're living in a foreign country right now, trying to be a missionary, and they, they live on next to nothing when they could be living in the United States with all the pleasures that this world offers. But for all of us in this room and around the world, for all of us, we are called to suffer. For all of us, it means a life of sacrifice and dying to our own desires and self which is painful and hard, where we no longer live for what feels right and gives us pleasure, but for what is right and gives God pleasure, since He is our King and He is our Lord. Let me give you a few examples how we look at this. Like one example would be our time. Like we just spend our time differently than the world does. We, uh, we value the things of Christ more than we value the pleasures of this world, so we spend time in praying. And it's difficult to pray. And you, you can't do other things because you're praying. Uh, we spend time studying the Word of God. It's difficult to study the Word of God at times. But yet we, we say no to a lot of other things so that we can spend time during the week studying the Word of God. Um, we gather as believers. Sometimes, often, you're like in a community group, and then you're a Sunday morning, and then there's an ABF time, and then maybe there's a youth group activity, and there's some. but we gather together as believers. We value that. The world doesn't. We value that. It means a lot of things we just can't do because... We gather with believers, and the other stuff just doesn't get done. Uh, we serve others. That's just, uh, we, we consider other people more important than ourselves, and the interests of other people more valid than our interests. So that means if somebody needs help, as Christians, we're like, yeah, I'm going I'm to be over there helping you. I'm going to go serve you in this way. I'm going to go do this and do that. I mean, that's sacrifice. That's not easy. I mean, you're looking at your list of things to do, right? And when you consider someone else more important than your own list, that's sacrifice. I mean, let's look at money, too, and how Christ is calling us to suffer with our money. Uh, like, we spend money much differently than what the world does because we value Christ over our own pleasures. Uh, we give generously to the poor. While other people are like, what are you doing? Like, you need that money for this and that. We're like, yeah, well, the poor need money, too. And God teaches us to give to the poor. We, we, we tithe with the church. We give to ministries. We give to missionaries. Instead of making our life more easy, we realize our money is there for use for the kingdom and we're freely giving it out to people. And that's hard. That's difficult. It's hard to follow Christ when the world is telling us of all its pleasures it could offer if we would spend more time and money on its systems. But Christ is calling us to leave behind all motives of being rich, all motives of being famous, all motives of being comfortable, and living a life of suffering where we surrender everything to God's kingdom. And we have to continually battle with, my old self says this, but the new reality I live in is this. 
And that fight is hard. And it involves suffering and pain and anguish. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. Like, tithing, for me, is, is hard. At the end of the month, when we look at the next month, and I'm looking at a broken dishwasher, you know what I'm talking about? I'm looking at a broken vehicle, and, and then I'm writing 10% of my money away to my place of worship. Like, I'm writing that check. I'm like, boy, this is hard. It's good. It's good that I suffer in that way. It's hard. Studying the Bible, that can be really difficult at times. i got to wake up a half hour earlier. I love sleep. I'm a huge fan of sleep. But to suffer and waking up early to cut my sleep short so that I can make sure I'm in the Word of God, that's hard. Sharing the gospel, man, that's difficult. That's hard. That's awkward at times. People have misunderstood me. They call me Bible thumpers. They call me, um, you know, I'm just trying to sell a product or get a certain quota in, and I, and I feel falsely labeled, and, and, uh, and it's awkward getting the conversation started. I've been rejected. People have been like, nah, I'm not interested in that that crutch or that craziness or that fairy tale. It's hard to share the gospel. The life God is calling us to live as Christians is a life of suffering where we're dying to ourselves, going to what feels natural, and living for a new reality in Christ Jesus. And James is saying, if you want to make it with your faith, you're going to have to have patience and wait for something that you're only getting a little bit of now, but will be great when your reward comes in complete when Christ returns. And then he says, remember the prophets. That's your example. Remember them. Remember what they went through. If they went through what they did and kept the faith, so can you. Uh, Let's look at verse 11 now. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now we know that all those who practice patience in the midst of suffering, they will stand firm to the end. Matthew 24, 10-13, this is Jesus, and he's talking to uh, the crowds about end times, and he says, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And boy, we're seeing that today. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who stands, who endures to the end, will be saved. The one who stands firm. The one who has patience. If you can make it to the end, you will be so blessed. Those who remain steadfast, as James says, you will be so blessed. And then he uses Job as an example. Now, he uses Job as an example of staying steadfast until the end and claims that the story of Job, through the story of Job, we'll be able to see God's purpose in suffering and also be reminded of how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But frankly, I was a little confused by this because I'm a little surprised that James used Job as an example because if you know anything about the book of Job, the majority of it is Job complaining to God about the injustice of his suffering. But even in that, my eyes were kind of open to this. As we begin to see the kind of patience James is describing, it's not a lack of wrestling with God about why you're going through this suffering. And it's not short of asking God why and trying to make sense of, of, of how and why this suffering is happening. 
but it's rather right in the middle of the struggle to understand. When you're saying, God, why did you allow this to happen? God, this is so hard. God, why can't I do this better? Why do I keep falling short? It's in the midst of you struggling to understand. Job demonstrates an unwavering perseverance and unchanging faith in knowing that God is good. Kids, if you got your bulletin, you should have a little picture in there you can draw, and adults too, if you like the doodle, you can draw a little picture about Job. As I go through the story of Job here, um, there's a bunch of pictures you'll see in your head as I tell the story. Pick one of those and go ahead and draw it. Job is a really unique book because we see God and Satan having a conversation. And it starts off kind of casual. God's like, hey, Satan, where you been? Satan's like, yeah, you know, just going around doing stuff. And God says, hey, Satan, did you notice uh, Job? He's doing great. He's a man of integrity. Fears God, stays away from evil. And Satan says, yeah, but here's the deal. That's because you put this hedge of protection around him. Nothing bad ever happens to him. And anything he touches instantly becomes a success. God's like, yeah, I do those, I do those things, yep. And Satan's like, yeah, but you take that all away, he's going to curse you to your face. And God says, okay. I don't get it. <laughs> but God says, okay. And he says, but don't hurt him physically. Take anything you want away. And guys, in one day, Job loses all seven of his children. All his crops and everything he worked for was destroyed. His animals and herds were either stolen or killed. And all of his hired hands and field workers were all slaughtered. The only thing that he had left was his wife. And that is not a good thing. We will find out why Satan was like, yeah, leave her in the equation. But Job's response is absolutely amazing. In the midst of intense suffering, he's ripped his clothes, he's in sackcloth and ashes, mourning the loss of everything. His response is, you know, God owes me nothing. I owe God everything. He owes me nothing. He can freely give and he can freely take away. But he owes me nothing. My only job right now in this moment is to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be his name. Man, you talk about patience in suffering. So we find ourselves back into the heavenly court. Satan comes back to God. God's like, same pleasantries, where you been, Satan? Satan's been out and around doing stuff. And then God's like, hey, did you notice Job? I, I just I don't know if you noticed or not, but the guy you've been messing with, did you notice Job? Because right now, if you listen real close, so what's that? Oh, yeah, he's writing a new hit worship song called Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. It's going to be real big in the church coming. Yeah, it's him down there singing. Yeah. And Satan, because, ah, oh, yeah, but listen, God, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. You left his health. He's still feeling good. If you let me mess with his health, curse you to your face. And God says, okay. And then puts a parameter around it and says, 
Don't kill him, but you can mess with his health. Guys, one thing I find extremely comforting and enlightening about God and Satan is that Satan has to ask permission when he wants to mess with God's people. We often see this Hollywood, you know, interaction where it's like God against Satan and they're fighting really hard, but really the biblical, what we're actually looking at is Satan's like a little boy in a classroom. Hey God, can I, can I do this? I don't get God and saying okay and why he allows all this. We know there's purpose in it, but really that's, Satan's on a leash. We is nothing that we need to be afraid of for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And every time that God gives Satan permission, he always puts parameters around it. I find that really comforting. So Job gets covered in boils, these nasty sores all over his body, and he's scraping the pus from all of his body, his arms and his legs, and they're burning him as he got little clay, pieces of clay pot, and he's scraping them open, and his wife walks up to him and says, are you seriously still trying to be faithful to God? Go ahead and curse him, you moron. Thanks, babe. That's exactly what I need to hear right now. Because I'm trying to be faithful to God. I'm trying to do what's right. A nagging wife is just super helpful. Thank you for, for doing that. At this point in the story, it's, it's okay to be a little confused about how this is supposed to be encouraging believers to have patience and suffering because it seems like the suffering just keeps happening. But I want you to understand that for James's audience, when he wrote, Consider Job, he is writing to an audience that this was very encouraging because they know the story of Job really well. They knew that God heals Job and restores everything back to what, that what he lost and even more. He knows, they know that, that, what, that God's mercy and compassion is shown because he comes and does not leave Job alone in his suffering, comes, walks him through it, and in the end makes all things right again. Why use Job as an example? Well, let me tell you why. Because nobody has had it as bad as Job. Nobody has had it as bad as Job. I know we've come here, we've faced a lot of struggles and a lot of trials. We've had a lot of loss. We've given up a lot of the world's pleasures to follow Christ. But nobody has had it as bad as Job. And if he literally lost everything that he could lose and yet remained faithful and God restored him and honored him, if Job can do it, so can you. With your less struggles, if Job can do it, so can you. I love uh, John Piper. He has a quote. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I think that's so true, uh, even more so in the midst of suffering. Guys, there's so much purpose and suffering when the world sees us suffering living sacrificially throwing away the american dream because of our hope in christ they are forced to say you know what those christians they actually believe what they say they look nothing like us god is so glorified in our suffering his worthiness of worship his incomparable beauty is made known through our suffering as we lay down all the treasures that this world has to offer and we say you know what i don't want this stuff i don't live for this stuff i see something else it's called eternity with christ that's what i want more than anything and we live that way man god is made to look so glorious in the midst of our suffering in the midst of of giving up and surrendering stuff and going towards christ god is made to look so glorious 
glorious. And then there's so much more purpose in suffering too. As we cry out to God in the midst of suffering, our character is made strong in his likeness. We begin to experience God's compassion and mercy. Without suffering, we wouldn't know the compassionate side of God. We wouldn't know the merciful side of God. And as we work to accomplish the hard work as kingdom workers, we begin to see that suffering plays a big role in helping us accomplish the jobs that God has called us to do. If we have faith, we will suffer for the kingdom of God. If your faith is real, you will suffer for the kingdom of God. That is why faith requires patience. Because our suffering has a purpose. And it may take years. It may take a lifetime. You're saying, God, why did you take that away from me? You're saying, God, why, why am I like this? God, why are you asking me to work in this place? God, why are you asking me to be in this family. God, why can't I just have this stuff and you keep telling me to spend my money differently? It may be years. Do you understand Joseph? Remember the, tech, the coat guy with all his color coats uh, and his brother sold him in slavery? Do you understand that when his brother sold him in slavery to the time when he finally became second in Egypt and saved the whole country plus many others, that was 13 years can you imagine 13 years of being in prison, 13 years of, of being sold as a slave? Can you imagine what's going on? He said, God, why? I was doing everything right. You even gave me dreams about how you were going to use me. And I'm stuck in jail because I decided I was going to be pure for your name's sake and not sleep with her? That's why I'm in jail? Are you serious, God? You can't do any of your magic stuff now and work me out of here? My brothers disown me, God? You allowed that to happen? All you had to do, God, was wait just a little longer until my oldest brother showed up. He would have stopped it all. Why did you keep my older brother away so long? Can you imagine all the questions of 13 years? And then all of a sudden, he finds himself second in command, saving a whole country from starvation, along with many other people. Saving the Lion of Jesus from starvation. And his brothers show up to him, and they're, like, and they're like, dude, how are you even processing this? And this is what Joseph says to his brothers. This is Genesis 50, 20. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. People of Fairlawn, be patient in your suffering. Yes, it's hard following God. Yes, we don't live for the pleasure of this world. Yes, we're not promised a life of ease. Yes, it's difficult doing the right thing. It takes all the strength we can get from Christ to do it. But it will be worth it in the end. If you hold on, if you keep your faith, if you keep your eyes on the reward up ahead, it will be worth it. So brothers and sisters, be patient. God is coming back soon. Our reward for faithfulness is very close at hand. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking you to just continually give us strength and encouragement as we go through the trials of following you, that we wouldn't try to minimize them and run from them, that we would embrace them knowing that in our suffering uh, that you are made glorious, that in our suffering you have purpose. And you only allow suffering to happen when you want to do something good out of it. 
God, as we wrestle with you and we try to understand the deep things of, of why we suffer the way we suffer at times, I pray that we would always end with saying, but God, we know you are good. You can give, you can take away. Our job is to say, blessed be your name. God, I pray that we would be changed. In your name we pray. Amen.